With Hashem Selpi, our learning Saita Daf Yutches, we left off on Daf Yutches, Amid Aleph, five lines from the top of the Amid. After learning the previous six halachas that the Gemara taught us, now we're going to have a series of inquiries, a series of questions. Says the Gemara, Rava asked, What will happen if Kosav Beis Megillois Lishtei Saitois? If two separate Megillas were written, for two different women that were suspected of committing adultery. However, but both of those Megillas were erased in one cup of water. Mahu, can both of these women, or one of those two women, drink those waters? Do we say that the writing of the portions of the Torah have to be written for each woman individually and and it was done? They wrote two different Megillas, one for each one. Or perhaps, that even the erasing has to be done for each woman individually. And really, to add, it's not about the erasing being done for each one for her sake, because even though it was erased in one cup of water, it was still erased for each one individually. But it's not something that's apparent. Perhaps it has to be made clear that the erasing was done for each one individually. And when you take both of the Megillas and you erase them in one cup of water, you don't have that clarity. But in the, in the fourth line of Rashi, Rashi just clarifies, or at the end of the third line, Lishma, from where do we know that this is included in the many mitzvahs that have to be done for her sake? So says, Rashi, that Lishma b'sefer la'atzmai, because it says in the parsha of Saita, the kasa va'asa la Lishma. It says va'asa la, he should do it for her. Obviously, he's doing it for her. The Torah is emphasizing that because there is this concept of for her sake. Back in the Gemara. Now, ve'im tim salayim, and even if you're going to tell me that that you have to have a clarity, it has to be clear that each parchment was erased for every woman individually. What will happen, asks Rava, Mechok, and Bebez Kaisais, if they were written to Megillus, one for woman A, one for woman B. They had two cups of water, and each Megillah was erased separately, each cup for every woman, respectively. But then, then, for whatever reason, they took both of these cups of waters and they mixed them together. Mahu, what will be the din over here? Do we say that not only do you need to have ksiva, but you have to have the clarity that and we did it here, because each one was erased separately. Or perhaps, Drinking, being that both of these cups of waters are now mixed in one larger cup. In other words, no woman is drinking her individual, her personalized cup. Maybe you have to have this personalized drinking. And the imtim solaymer ha lavdi de koshasya. For ha lavdi de koshasya. And if you're going to say that it's taka not valid because each one needs their own personal cup of water, now comes the question, what will happen if for whatever reason? After they mix the cups of water together, now a client says, Oi, what are you doing? Don't mix them together. So he separated them. So now what's the question? And this is important. Yesh bereira oi ein bereira. Bereira is a concept that we continuously learn throughout Shas. It's important for those of us who learned it to hazard, to review, or for the first time. 
The word Bereira literally means to clarify. As we have in Hasidus, you know, the Avedah of Birurim. We want to clarify the good from the bad. We want to separate the bad out. That's in Hasidus. Bereira can even be applied to two good things. Two things that are mixed. When you're making Birur, you're clarifying them, you're separating them. In the context here, in Gemara, Bereira would mean retroactive clarification. For example, a classical case. We are living in Eretz Yisrael. We're obligated to separate Trumas from Maestris. I, let's say, have a, bar, a barrel of wine. I already separated the truma, and I push it. I don't have a utensil in which to put the miser. It's after I separate the, let's say, the 2%, the average separation for the kayin. So I took out 2% of my barrel. I separated it. This is for the kayin. Now I have to separate from what remains 10% for the levy. I don't have a cup. I don't have a jug. But I want to drink the wine. So the question is, can I say, I will leave all of the remaining tithings in the bottom of the barrel. I'm not going to finish the whole barrel. The, the additional 10% plus the further, right, my Sersheni or my Sersheni, I'll leave. I'm not separating it now. I'm declaring I'm going to separate it later. Bereda would mean that I would be allowed to drink wine now. I, I didn't separate it now. When I will separate, when I'll get this jug, when I'll take out the Maiserishan and the Maiserishani, we will consider it as if I already had separated it retroactively. That's called Bereda. Now, this is a question. Do we say Bereda? Don't we say Bereda? Most place can say that in Torah laws, we do not apply Bereda. In rabbinic laws, we do apply Bereda. But that's the way we Paskin now. In the Gemara, we constantly have the question. Now, Toysavus makes a very important observation by saying that the application of Breda here is abnormal, is unusual. Why is it unusual? In the case that I just gave of the barrel of wine, no Maisid was separated until the time that I separated it. So if you hold of the principle of retroactive clarification, then we'll say you can drink wine now because when you'll separate the Maisidus, it's going to be considered as if you already had separated it from the beginning, but you never separated it before. Over here, the two cups of water were made separately. They are already separated. Then some genius came ahead and mixed them together. Now, when you're going to later physically separate it, no one is going to say that exactly the waters that were initially for woman A and the other waters that were initially only for woman B, that when you're going to separate it later, that that physical waters will exactly go back for each one. Even if you hold of Breda, it doesn't make sense to say that that's exactly what will happen. That's not what's going to happen. The waters were mixed together. But the point is that maybe you don't need for every woman to get back her original water. Maybe what's needed is for every woman to have her personal water. And you can argue that if halachically you say the principle of Bereda, even though there was a period when the water was mixed together, now that you separated it and we apply the concept of it's as if it was never mixed together, so the personal effects, the personal list of the water that existed comes back. And it comes back retroactively, so it should be good. Now, if you don't apply the concept of Bereda, now that it was mixed up together, now it's ruined if each woman needs to have her personal water. And just because, lady, you're going to separate it, but so what? This woman is not drinking her water. She's drinking some of her water, some of another woman's water. So that will not work. 
So the question is, do we apply Bereda here or not? And out of all of these questions, says the Gemara, Teku. Teku means the question is standing. At least now we're right, Mamash, on the, the last moment of Golos, that Mashiach is coming, is going to answer these questions. Continues the Gemara asking, What will happen if Hishka besiv, if the woman drinks her waters through a sieve? A sieve is a bast, it's some type of natural straw. And as Rashi points out, normally children drink liquids through straws, or if she drinks it through a tube, another type, a larger straw, Mahu, is it considered drinking or not? Will the waters work or not? What does it contingent on? Do we say it's considered the way people drink? Maybe not adults, children. So what? But there are children that drink that way. Oh, you're maybe since this is not the usual way of her drinking. And the Torah says that Vehishka the woman has to drink the waters. Maybe halachically this is not considered drinking. Again, the Gemara says, Take this question stands. But Ravashi asks Ravashi, what happens if some of the water spilled out, but but some of it remained? Mahu, what do we say? Does she have to drink all the waters? Or by the fact that some of it poured out, got lost? Mahu, teku. Interestingly, later we will learn, in the next daf and further, that there are certain circumstances where they force the woman to drink. We'll get to that later. It's in a very unique case where, where the woman is not saying she's guilty, but they already raised the Megillah that has in it a few times Hashem's name. So there's a certain point where they tell her, if you didn't want to drink, you should have opted out before we erased Hashem's name. Now that we already erased Hashem's name, if you're going to admit that you're guilty, we're not going to force you to drink. But if you're declaring you're innocent, then you got to drink. And in that circumstance, according to certain Tanoim, they'll force her to drink. Now, the logic says that when you force a person to drink something against their will, not all of the water will actually go into their bodies. So many people make a correlation. Here there's a question whether if some of it spilled out, whether it's good or not, and perhaps by the fact that we'll find out later that sometimes there is this forced feeding, maybe not all of it is needed. Other people say one thing is not connected to the other. There's a big difference between having all the waters in the cup and putting it in the woman's mouth, even if not all of it goes down her throat, so to say. That's considered she drank all the waters. Perhaps if some of it spilled out the cup even before she started drinking, maybe that's not good. Again, take one. Amarav Zaydo, Amarav. Beis, Shavuois, Ho'amuras, Besaita, Lama. As we spoke out in the last year, that in the parsha of Nasa in Pedekei, in the various psukim from which some of it was written on this Megillah and was subsequently erased in the water. So over there, in those psukim, we spoke out Pasekutes, Chav, Chav Aleph, and Chav Beis, both in Pasekutes, the Torah is commanding the Koyin, what the Koyin should adjure and to curse the woman. And then in, in the beginning of Pasek Chav Aleph, again the Torah interrupts 
And again, the Torah says that the Koyim has to command the woman and make her swear. Why did the Torah have to repeat both commandments to the Koyim to adjure? The woman answers the Gemara, One of them is said to the woman before the Megillah is erased. And the other one is written after the Megillah is erased. Says Rava, that's not correct. Both of them in the Torah are written before the Torah says the Megillah should be erased. The erasing of the Megillah in the Torah is only written in Pasuk Chav Gimel, in Pasuk 23. And these shvuas I mentioned in Pasuk Yutes and in Pasuk Chav Aleph. Ela Amar Rava clarifies Rava, not Nisht. One of these oaths are oaths that have a curse in it, as we'll explain. And and one is, a, is an oath that is made for the woman, it's adjured on the woman, that doesn't contain an oath on it. Really, the oath is for her to accept, for her to swear that she's innocent. The curse is where she's accepting that if God forbid she's guilty, then the waters will go into her and do the thing that the water does to her. Now the Gemara needs to clarify, exactly how is the oath that is of the curse, how is that worded? So this has to be clarified. So Rav Amram says in the name of Rav, so, and just to speak out the following, that in Pasuk Yutes, there it begins that the Kain is telling the woman that if you're not guilty, nothing is going to happen to you. That's the oath. She's only swearing that I'm innocent, and therefore nothing is going to happen to her negative, Adarabu. Good things happen to her when she drank the waters. In Pasuk Chof Aleph, there is already where the oath is going in the opposite. That if you are guilty of committing an act of, of, of adultery, so then there was an oath of a curse. Now how was that worded? Mashbiyani olechom, I am adjuring you by it. In other words, that if it is as you say, that you were not defiled, shaloi mesa. Say that that's correct. Because you should know, because if it's not as you're saying, if you were defiled, if you committed adultery, then then in you should come these waters. And as the Pasuk continues, that that it caused for her thighs to collapse, and her stomach expanded and, so to say, internally exploded. Amarava challenges Rava one second, that if the wording of the Shvua, that has in it an Allah, is worded the way of Amram said in the name of Rav. So then it's not good. It's not an oath of the curse. It's an oath. It's an Allah Luchuda. It's a curse by itself. Because he's telling her, She imnitmeis, if. And then the Shvua Kaima Luchuda. And the oath stands by itself. The Torah says it has to be an oath of a curse. Here, according to his wordings, Yechapta wordings, Swear that what you're saying is true, that you did not become defiled. So that's the oath. And then he says, because if you became defiled, you'll be cursed. So when he's articulating the curse, he's not using the words, I'm adjuring you, I'm making you swear. When he spoke out the words of the oath, he never mentioned the curse. Each one remained separate according to the wordings of Rav. Rav Amram Amarav. So El Amar Rav Rav clarifies, no, Mashbiyani, Olechom, Mashbiyani, Olayich, I adjure you, She'im Nitmeis, that if you became defiled, so he's already going straight to the curse, I adjure you, that if you became defiled, then the water should do what they do. So Vaiter Ravashi says, that's not good, because Allah, Ika, 
he's only speaking about the negative. I adjure you that if you became defiled, then the water should curse you. But there is no shvua in the positive. And we always understand that the oath is in the positive. In other words, basically, I swear that I'm innocent. And then there is a oath of a curse. I'm, I'm being made to make an oath that I'm accepting the curse that if, God forbid, I'm guilty, I'm going to get hurt. El Ravashi just amends one letter, which changes everything, in the way Rav Amram Amarav worded it, that these are the words of the claim. He tells the woman, Mashbieni, Olayich, I adjure you, that Shalayin it mace. In other words, I adjure you, say Amen, that you're swearing that you did not become defiled. And then he added, not She'im, the way Rav said, V'imnitmeis. And also, and, the end, is connecting the oath to the curse. And if you became defiled, then then in you will come the waters and they will bring a curse to you. Continues the mission. As we spoke out in Pasuk Chav Beis, right, the Pasuk 22 concludes with the words that Obo that the waters that, co- that cause the curse will go in, will goes into her. And it goes into her meyayich, it goes into her stomach. And it makes her stomach expand, it makes her thighs collapse. And Pasuk Chavbeis concludes, and the woman says, Amen, Amen. Why does she say Amen twice? Now, when a person makes an oath, and the listener says Amen, it's as if they made the oath. Okay, so she says Amen. Why Amen twice? Asks the Mishnah, Alma, he Oimedes, Amen, Amen, what's the double Amen? Says the Mishnah, Amen, Al Ha'ala. She's saying Amen, that she's accepting upon herself the curse, and Amen, Al and Amen on the oath. Let's look inside quickly, Toysus. The, sec, the three lines from the bottom, the second to last Toysus in the Amit, Alma, he Oimedes, Amen, the Amen. So Taisva says Gavaldig that we learned Bepedik Shlishi the Masakta Shvois. We learned in the tractate of Shvois that call Ho'ina Amen. You know, Amen has many meanings. Amongst the many meanings of the word Amen, whoever answers Amen, ki ilu moitsi shuami piv. It's as if they made the oath. So the system was the Kayan was the one that adjured her. No, it's he was the one that articulated the oath. I adjure you. To swear that what you're saying is correct, that you were not defiled. When she says the words Amen, it's as if she said, I swear. And also, we also learned also, that Amen, Yejboi Kabbalah, or Belashan Chazal over there, Yejboi Kabbalah's Devanim, that when a woman says Amen, Amen also means I accept what you're saying. Yejboi Shvua, the Yejboi Ha'amanas Devanim. So she's accepting the curse. And she's swearing that she's innocent. That's why she said, Amen, Amen, back in the Mishnah. Now this really would have answered the question. Why does she say, Amen, Amen? Because you have an oath, you have a curse. So she says, Amen, Amen. But the Mishnah continues that this is not the only meaning of Amen, Amen. And now we're going to learn something that's very good to remember. There's a concept in Torah called Gilgul Shvua. The word Gilgul means to roll over an oath. Rolling over an oath, or let's use the words of our sages, Gilgul Shvua means the following. There are certain times in many areas, like for example in monetary cases, me and you are going to a dentator, 
not every time that I demand of my counterpart, swear that what you're saying is true, because you're lying, not every time will Beisden force that person to take an oath. There are certain situations, limited, limited cases in which either the traitor demands an oath, or there's a Shavuos Hadayanim, one type of rabbinic oath, or there's a Shavuos Heses, another type of rabbinic oath, but it's limited. However, once a person in Beisden is already being demanded to take an oath, then the other side can tell the Beisden, now that he has to swear anyway, I want him to swear that A and that B and that C, and he can add as many oaths, or not as many as, but he can add many more oaths. That's called Gilgal Shor. So says the Mishnah, why is he taking her to the base Amigdash? All of it began, she became a, say, a Saita. In other words, the husband warned her, don't be in seclusion with a certain individual. And then she was alone with him. No one knows what happened. So really, the suspicion is, did she, God forbid, commit adultery with that individual? What happens, unfortunately, when a couple loses trust with each other, you know, the mind goes meshuga. Ah, you were not faithful. Maybe it, wasn't, maybe it wasn't only with him. Maybe it was someone else. So the din is that if the husband wants, and we will learn the Mishnah the way that Rambam understands the Mishnah, that this is optional, if the husband wants, he can already make her swear, don't only swear that you were not defiled with that person with whom I warned you not to be secluded with. Swear that you, did, you never became defiled with any other man. I don't even know with whom, but with any other one. So, Now, if she would not have become a Saita, he cannot demand her to take that oath. But because of the concept of Gilgal Shvua, he could demand that. And another Gilgal Shvua, Amen Shiloi Sotisi Arusa, say that you did not even become defiled when you were in the state of Edusin. As we learned many times in Emir Tashem, we will learn many times, Midin marriage is divided into two steps. There is the step of engagement, of biblical engagement, not the engagement we have today, called Edusin, which is affected today by the fact that the chassan gives a ring or something of value to the kala in front of the witnesses and makes the declaration, etc. So now she is a halachically engaged woman, and from now on, if she has a relation with another man, it's considered an act of adultery, for which there is capital punishment. Now, the din of Saita doesn't go on such a woman. The whole din of a Saita that a man can warn his wife, don't be secluded with an individual, and then if she was secluded, he, she becomes a Saita, that really only begins from marriage. But now that she was married and she became a Saita, again, Gilgul Shvua, he can make her swear that not only was she not defiled with this individual after she was married, he can say, you know what, I want you to swear that you were not defiled when we were still engaged. So, Amen, Shalai Satisi Arusa, and another Amen, that you did not become defiled, Nesuya, after we were married, turning to Daf Yudches Amid Beis. Continues the Mishnah. Likewise, another Amen Amen, another Gilgal Shvur. The din of Saita is only again in marriage, only after the woman is married. Now we learned the din of a Yivama. What's the din of Yivama Bekitzer? If Reuven marries, let's say Rachel, and if, God forbid, Reuven passes away without having any children, any children, if Reuven has a brother or brothers, there is a mitzvah 
on the one of the brothers, ideally the eldest of the surviving brothers, or on any other of the brothers, to consummate what we will call the Yibum marriage, to give continuity to his brother's name. Now, during the period after Reuven dies, before Shimon does Yibum, the act of marriage, she's called a Shemeres Yavam. She's waiting to get married by Shimon. That is also a time in which she's not allowed to have a relation with any other man. Because the Torah says that that the wife of the deceased should not marry another man. She is bound with the brother. Now, there is another ceremony called Chalitza, which is something that's actually practiced today, in which Shimon is actually going to be told not to consummate the marriage, but to do that, the, 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 the mitzvah of she removes the shoe off his right foot, off his right heel, and there's an exchange of words, and then she spits in his direction, and that is what severs their bond that they have together. Now, Shimon marries her, and during the marriage of Shimon, he suspects her, she becomes a sight. Now that he's making her swear that she did not become defiled with that individual after she was married, now Shimon has the right to demand of her, swear that you did not become defiled during the period when you were a Shemeres Yavam. And if not for the fact that she's a Saita now, he can never make her swear for that. A woman does not become a Saita during that period. But now that she's a Saita, now that she's swearing, so swear that you did not become defiled while you were a Shemeres Yavam, and nor now can do so. The Mishnah does something very unusual. The Mishnah now goes back to speak out the first answer the Mishnah gave. But the first answer the Mishnah gave was Amen v'Amen. What's Amen v'Amen? Amen on the oath, Amen on the curse. And now the Mishnah explains it. What's Pshat Amen on the oath, Amen on the curse? As we are learning today, clear that the oath is that she's innocent. And the oath of the curse is that she's swearing that she's undertaking the curse if God forbid she's guilty. Amen, Shiloinit Macy. That's the first Amen. Amen that I'm innocent. And Veimnit Macy. And the second Amen is that if I'm guilty, you be, God forbid that the water should come into me and do what they do. Rav Meir adds something. Rav Meir adds, and again, we're learning the Mishnah the way that Amam understands it, that Bezdin doesn't force her to swear that she never committed adultery in the past with another man, or that she never committed adultery when she was engaged, or that she never committed adultery while she was a Shemeres Yavim. That is an option that the husband has. If he were to ask her to do it, then she has to do it. Rav Meir adds to this, not only do we, through the mechanism of Gilgul Shvua, if asked, make her swear for something that happened in the past, imagine, we can make her swear on the future. Not only swear that you did not become defiled with that man with whom I suspected you of committing adultery with. Swear that you will not commit adultery while we're still married. Now, what does that mean? That means, as Rashi explains, as we learn in the Gemara, that if she will commit adultery later in the marriage, it's not that she would die when she drinks the waters today. But the moment she will commit adultery, God forbid later, it's as if the waters are reawakened, the waters are in her, and it kills her then. And as we learned, it doesn't only kill her. The man who committed adultery dies the same death that she dies.
Says the Mishnah Hakol Shavin, everyone agrees She'ein Mas Ne'ima, that he cannot make a Gilgul Shvua. Alright, he cannot stipulate for her to swear. Loi al Kaidim Shetis Ares, not on what she did before she got engaged. Swear that you never was with another man before you got engaged. She doesn't have to take that oath. Because even if she was with another man before they got engaged, it's not going to make her prohibited to be with him. Right? It's not a sin for which there is a chi of kodesh. And then we're going to read inside the Bach. Look inside the Aleph. The Bach actually has two versions. Let's read inside Bach, right? On the side Aleph, around seven lines from the top. We're going to read inside the first Girsa, And I'll speak out both. V'loi al-achashet is Godesh. Nor can he make her swear regarding after she was divorced. And then Vitisasar she was in seclusion, Le'echot with an individual, and maybe Vititman she became defiled, and then and then he will remarry her. Is Let's go to the Hakarl Shavan. Rav Meir added, not only normally can Gilgul Shvua go for the past, Gilgul Shvua can go to the future. Says the Mishnah, the past is not the back all the way to the beginning. The past is limited to the beginning of their engagement. So likewise, in the future, <clears throat> if a man divorces his wife, if he's not a Kayan, as long as she does not marry another man, he, he remarries her. He could remarry her. People say there's a mitzvah for him to be machzer gerushasek. Now, if she marries another man, right, and then the other man divorces her, or the other man dies, then he's prohibited to remarry her. But again, if she doesn't marry another man, then he can remarry her. So the man is telling his wife, you know what? Now that you're swearing, swear that in the period, if I will divorce you, if I will divorce you, and then I'll marry you later. Swear to me that in that period in between the first marriage and the second marriage, you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to be with another man. Now the, re- the truth is that if she is with another man between that period, he's still allowed to remarry her. The only time he's not allowed to remarry her is if she married another person and then gets divorced or then she becomes a widow. Only then can the first husband not remarry her. So being that the period in between both marriages, similar to the period before he was engaged with her, is a period in which even if she has a relation with another man, it does not affect his permissibility to marry her. So therefore he's not allowed, he's unable to make her swear regarding that period. The second version in the Bach is he puts both in the past. That if he actually remarried her again in the second time, and the second time when he's remarried with her, she becomes a Saita. And now she's in the base of Mikdash taking an oath that she didn't commit adultery with that man during the second marriage. And he's allowed to make her swear that Bechlal in our marriage he never committed adultery. So here also the Mishnah is saying that he cannot make her swear Swear that in the period in between marriage A and marriage B with me, you didn't have a relation with another man. That's something that he cannot do to her. Masna explains the Mishnah. That's This is the rule. If the woman would have an act of cohabitation. And nevertheless, she will not become prohibited to her husband. So if that were to happen, since it doesn't affect their relationship, he cannot stipulate, he cannot make her, he cannot throw on her this type of Gilgul Shvur. End of mission. Gewaldik.
says that we see from our Mishnah that she met us Yavam, that if this woman, let's go back to the case of Shemaris Yavam, Rachel became a widow, she's awaiting for Shimon to do Yibum. If before he does Yibum, Shazinsa, if she had a relation with another man, here she will not be allowed to marry Shimon. Obviously, because the Mishnah just concluded by saying that any time she would have a relation, if that relation with a separate person would not prohibit her from being with her husband, on that period, he could not make her swear. Since the Mishnah said by Amen Amen, by the Gilgul Shvur, that one scenario could be swear that you would not that you were not with another man during the period of Shemeris Yavam and Amen that you were not with another man during the time we were married, Kenusa. So E Omar Bishlaima, if you're gonna say that Asida, that a woman who has a relation with another man during the time of Shemeris Yavam, she will not be allowed to marry her current husband, the brother of the deceased. So Mishum Haki Masna Bahada. So that's why it makes sense that now that he did marry her and he's allowed to make her swear of something in the past, he can also include that period time, that time period. Ella Iomart, but if you're going to say that Loya Sira, that even if she did have a relation with another man during the time that she's a Shemeris Yavam, she will not be prohibited to be with Shimon. It's Heichamasna Bahada. How could he stipulate for her? to take that oath. We learned in our Mishnah at the end, this is the rule, that if she would have a relation, and nevertheless, but she would not become prohibited on her husband, he would not be able to make that stipulation. That's Taka Gavaldika proof from our Mishnah. And from our Mishnah, we have that Raya. However, the Gemara says, Amri Bimarava, we learned in Eretz Yisrael, that lays Hilchaseke Rav Hamnuna, that the Halach is not like Rav Hamnuna. Why? I, Elo, Hadiktani, how do they understand in Eretz Yisrael, our Mishnah, that Shemeris Yovim Ukenusa, that he could make her swear? So they said over there, ah, our Mishnah goes according to the opinion of Rabbi Akiva, and we do not pass him like Rabbi Akiva. Regarding what? The question is like this. The Omar. Rabbi Akiva holds Ein Kiddushin Toivshin B'chayov Lavin. There are many relations that are prohibited by the Torah. But however, the level of prohibition or the severity of the, of the punishment differs. You have the Arroyas and Pashas Achrimois. Most of them are relations that one cannot have because of a closeness of family. So a person cannot have a, have a relation with his mother, with his daughter, etc. Those relations, if one, God forbid, has them, the punishment is cutis. According to everyone, since the punishment of an act of cohabitation with those close relatives is penalized with cutis, if one were to do the ceremony of marriage with them, the marriage bachal wouldn't work. Question is, there are many other prohibitions in the Torah. For example, a kayan cannot marry a divorcee cannot have a relation with a divorcee, nor can he marry her. Now, what would happen if, God forbid, he would marry her? Is the marriage a marriage or not? In other words, do you need to give a get or not? We don't pass him like Rabbi Kiva. We hold that the marriage was functional. It's a prohibited marriage. We call it an illegal, an illegitimate marriage, but it's a marriage. And what they need to do is, the man, the coin, has to give a get to his wife, who was already divorced before he married her. But he has to give a get. Rabbi Kiva holds he doesn't even have to give her a get. Rabbi Kiva puts any... Yeah, Rabbi Kiva says, no, she becomes prohibited because she only had one get. But now that the coin gave her the ring under the chuppah, it affected a marriage. 
Rabbi Kiva says it doesn't even affect the marriage. Rabbi Kiva says whenever Hashem says that this man cannot have a relation with that woman, even if the punishment is not Qadis, it's just like a Qadis penalty. He puts everything on the same level. And therefore, let's go back inside our Mishnah, I mean, inside the Gemara. Since Rabbi Kiva holds, in Kiddushan Toif Sebechayov Elavin, Umash and the Torah says that this Shemeres Yavim, we spoke out the Pasuk when we learned the Mishnah, Loi Sihi Eishas Hameis Le'ish Zohar, that this widow should not marry another man. Now, that's called the Chayi love. If she marries another man, not according to Rabbi Kiva, before she gets chalitza, the kedushin is going to work. So our Mishnah, which is Rabbi Kiva, since Rabbi Kiva holds that, since God says don't marry another man, even if she married another man, that marriage will not be toifes, le Rabbi Kiva. That means that if she would have a relation with another man, it's just like, it's a relation that will make her prohibited. It's on par with a chiva kadis, just like she's a married woman. So that's why our Mishnah says that he can adjure her even during the period of a Shemeris Yavan. But since we don't paskin like Rabbi Kiva, therefore we don't paskin like Rabbi Amnuna, and he cannot be Magalgal the Shvua for the period of Shemeris Yavan. What would be the case if a man married a woman and he divorced her and he remarried her? This is not the case of our Mishnah. And now that he remarried her, and now that she became a Saita, can he make her swear that she did not commit adultery during the time that they were married for the first time? Not the period in between marriages, which, which is what the Mishnah spoke about. Or, the Mishnah mentioned, you can be Magalgul Shvua for the period of Shemer Siyavim. Question is, can you make her swear, Shimon did Yibum with Rachel, and she became a Saita. Can he tell her, I want you to swear that while you were with Rove and my brother, then you did not commit adultery. So the Gemara says on both questions, I'll give you the answer from our Mishnah. Tashima, since it says in our Mishnah, Zaklal, this is the rule, Kol Shatibal, that when can he not be Megal Only for the period before engagement, only for the period in between marriages, only during the time that had she had a relation, she would not become prohibited to her current husband. That is where he cannot be Megal But But if he's wanting for her to take an oath that she did not commit adultery during another period where she will become prohibited on him. Like, for example, the same man, Reuven marries Rachel, he divorces Rachel, he remarries Rachel. If he discovers now that his wife committed adultery while they were married for the first time, he cannot be with her. The, the, the penalty that a woman who commits adultery can never be again with the adulterer nor can she ever be with her husband, that doesn't only go to her husband with whom she's married to now in this marriage. If she was married to the same man previously, even if she committed adultery in the previous marriage, she's also prohibited on him. And likewise, in the second question that the Gemara asked, when a woman committed adultery with Reuven, when Rachel was married to Reuven, the din will be she would not be allowed to marry Shimon, you're not allowed to do Yibam with Shimon. That's actually what we learned at the end of the first Mishnah. That Chayletzes, Volemis Yabemis. So since if she committed adultery under the Uven, she would not be allowed to do Yibam with Shimon, he could 
that she did not have a relation while she was married the first time. Continues the Gemara according to Mishnah Rameir says, Not only can he make her swear regarding the past, he can also make her swear regarding the future in that marriage. Tanya says the Gemara that that Rav Meir did not mean when he said that she swears that I will never in the future become defiled. That that God who knows the future, that if God knows that God forbid this woman in the future will commit adultery, that it makes the waters that she's drinking now work now. God knows the future, but God does not punish people for something that they might do in the future. That's an important rule. Elo, what Rav Meir means to say is that when in the future, if God forbid, later she will become defiled, so then the waters gurgle up, so to say, it can be a day later, it can be 50 years later, and then it's going to do what the water does. But Ravashi asks Ravashi, Mao sheyasna odim, Rav Meir, who says that we can make a woman swear regarding the future, question is, can he make her swear again regarding what she might do when she remarries him? Reuven is married to Rachel. She becomes a Satan now. Swear that if I divorce you and remarry her, remarry you, that in the next marriage, you're not going to commit adultery. So do we say, In other words, the husband doesn't have the entitlement to extend the oath on a future marriage, he might divorce her, and he might remarry her, and maybe he does have this power to make her swear of something that she might do in the next marriage with him. So again, Toshima, a common proof from our Mishnah, everyone agrees, again, when does everyone agree that he cannot do a Gilgul Shvua, he cannot make her swear that she did not commit to have a relation with another man before she got engaged, he cannot make her swear that she won't have a relation with another man in between two marriages, that after she gets engaged, that Nistara Le'echad Vinitmeis, and Barchakach Yachzideno, and that Loi Hoya Masna, end of quoting of the Mishnah, so that's a proof. But regarding the scenario where he's telling her, I want you to swear that if I'm going to divorce you, and then I'm going to remarry you, that in that second marriage, swear that you will never be defiled. He could make her swear. Like we learned before, both in the previous marriage with her, and according to Rav Meir, in the subsequent marriage with her, Shmamino. Says the Gemara Tan Rabbanu, we learned in Abrais, when it says in the Torah, that this is the Torah, this is the, the law of jealousies, and the Torah uses the word Zois Torahs, and Zois Torahs means that there is one Torah, not Torahs, but Torahs, there is one law regarding jealousies in plural. What does that teach you? The way we'll begin learning in the Braise is that if a husband, God forbid, bad marriage, suspected, she becomes a Saita, she drinks the waters. Question is, can that husband, during the same marriage, later, again make her into a Saita? Says the Braise, yeah. The Torah is telling you there's one law for all the jealousies. No matter how many times he makes her into a Saita, he can make her drink. 
That is the Tanakama. Rabbi Yehuda, I mean, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, that the word Zois, Zois means this, this case. The word this excludes. It's an exclusionary word. Fakert, excluding that she'eno isha shoise v'shoine. He cannot make her drink twice. He can make her into a saita once. Once she drank the waters and becomes innocent, or proven to be innocent, he can't repeat it. Amar Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Yehuda clarifying his position, that that it happened that once in front of us, the testimony was given, other people have the version that the testimony was given in front of Rabbi Akiva, that Nechunya was the one who used to dig ditches, ditches, making sure that all of the Jews that go to the Beis HaMikdash, while they're going to the Beis HaMikdash, have water on the way. Now, that's why other people have the girsa that Nechunya, Chayfer Shechen obviously lived in the times of the Beis HaMikdash. So maybe the testimony was not given in front of Rabbi Yehuda. That was way after the times of the Beis HaMikdash. Maybe it was given in front of Rabbi Akiva. But be that as it may, what did Rabbi Nechunya say? That Shehoisha Shoise V'Shoina. Rabbi Nechunya said that he remembers that there was a couple, the same husband, same wife, and he made her drink twice. And Vikibalnu Eidusai. So we said to Rab Nechunya, it wasn't the same husband. Yes, a woman can drink t- twice. That's only Bishtei Anoshim. When this woman was married to two different husbands. Husband number one suspected her. She became a Saita. So where did he remember seeing the same woman have to drink again? Yeah, the woman was the one that came the second time. But she came with the second husband. If it's the same husband, once the husband suspected his wife. And it turns out that his suspicion was false. We do not allow him to force his wife to drink again. So Rabbi Yehuda stood his ground with the same husband. However, that a woman will not be made to drink twice, not the same husband, nor in two husbands. Period. So we have a three-way machlekes. And the Gemara beautifully will clarify exactly the area in where there is this three-way machlekes. But before we clarify it, don't forget that the Tanakama learned Shoise Vishaina from the words Toiras, Toiras Hakenois, that there's one law, it's the same law. No matter how many times she becomes a Shoite, she drinks again. But on the other hand, the word Zois is an exclusionary word. So asks the Gemara, what does the Tanakama do with the word Zois? Asks the Gemara, what is the later, what is the third opinion in the Braiso that say that a woman never drinks twice? What do they do with the words Toiras, which implies that it's a law that gets repeated again and again? So it clarifies the Gemara, Omar Rava, the following. We're going to give four cases. Jeremy, one extreme, the opposite extreme, and then two cases in the middle. Be'ish echad echad, if Reuven married Rachel. And he suspects her that she is committing adultery with Shimon. And she becomes a Saita. And she drinks the waters. And nothing happens to her. The next day, the next month, the next year, Reuven again suspects his wife with the same man. Everyone agrees in that case she will not drink twice. The same husband and the suspicion is on the same suspected adulterer. The kul pligi the ein ha'isha Gavaldic, and that is what the word Zois, which excludes, for sure excludes this case. Turning to Daf Yutes, because it says Zois. And let's go now to the other side of the spectrum, the other extreme. Bishnei Anashim Ushtei Boy Alim. If Reuven married Rachel, he suspected Rachel of having a Psamaisa with Shimon. 
and she drank the waters and she turned out innocent. At the end, Reuven divorced her. Rachel marries Levi. Levi is suspecting that she is doing something wrong with Yehuda. So if it's two separate husbands, two marriages, and each husband is suspecting her of some type of misbehavior with different men, here it makes the most sense that she should have to drink twice. Why would she not have to drink? Each, it's a different marriage with a different suspected adulterer. And that is learned from the words zois, toiras, hakinois, the law of jealousies. In other words, no matter how many jealousies, there's the same law that she drinks. So now, gewaldig de psukim are used according to everyone. Because it says toiras. Now we have two cases in between. Where is there an argument? In the case of Be'ish Echod if she's married with the same husband, but the husband suspected her one time of committing adultery with Shimon, and she became a slate and she drank the waters, now the same husband is suspecting his wife of misbehaving with, uh, with Yehuda. See, here it's already different. Here there's already more logic to say it's not the same man. Maybe she should drink again. Or, and what's the other case of doubt? Bishnei Anoshim, if she's married to two different husbands, and both husbands suspected her of potentially committing adultery with the same boil, with the same adulterer. So Shimon is married to his wife and he says, Stop hanging out with Shimon. Later, Reuven divorces her. And Levi marries her. And Levi again takes her to the base on Nigdash saying, She's misbehaving with Shimon. So why do we do in such a case? Tanakama holds that Torahs, that since it says Torahs Hakinois, and the word Torahs, as we said, means one law for many jealousies. In other words, no matter how many times she becomes suspected, it's the same law. That is the, the default. That is the default law. In other words, she always drinks. Shoyse v'shoyna. So let Abuye Kulhi. It includes both of these cases that we mentioned. I, again, it says Zois. Zois, when will the woman not drink twice? Only if it's, we're speaking about the same husband accusing her of misbehaving with the same individual. Zois is only that extreme Likewise, the last opinion in the Braisa that Rabban and Basroi hold that Zois Kuli that the default is that a woman never has to drink twice. Not, in, not only one husband, same adulterer, but in the both cases that we mentioned, also not. I, Zeus, is in an inclusionary case. There is a case where she will drink again. That's only when it's Shnei Anoshim Bayalam. That's only if it's two different husbands, each one suspecting her of committing adultery with a different person. Only there will she drink twice. However, Rabbi Yehuda says like this, Zeus, which says she does not she does not drink twice. That comes to exclude two cases. We'll see soon what case, what case he adds in the exclusion. And Toiras comes to include again two cases. And speaks out the Gemara. What are the two cases? Obviously, we don't make her drink twice. And also, it even comes to include that if she's married to the same man, today the man suspected her of misbehaving with Shimon. Tomorrow, the husband is going to suspect her of misbehaving with Levi. The husband loses credibility. And we're going to read the Rashi inside in a moment. However, Torahs, when will she repeat the drinking more than once? Not only does it include 
both shnei anoshim and of course shnei anoshim shnei bayalim. Not only is it two husbands and two different suspected adulterers, but even if it's with the same suspected adulterer, but she's married to a different husband, each husband will have the power to make her drink. And as she speaks out, why did they include one and exclude the other? Why didn't they say the opposite? Because the moment the husband made his wife a sight once, and she drinks the waters, and she turns out to be innocent, it shows that as Balash and Nashi, that he's a husband who is a kantaron. He's a contentious husband. He's a suspicious husband. He's a fighting husband. So the husband loses credibility. So once he lost his credibility, if you have to include another case where he cannot make her drink again, it makes sense. It goes to the case of the same husband. Masha Inkin, if it's two different husbands. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, even if, he's just, if he is suspecting her of committing adultery with the same man, he has the power to make her into a saita again. We're going to stop over here. We're going to say, Hadran Allah, we will God willing return to you, to Patek Sheni, to Hayamavi. And the next year, Mir Tzashem, we're going to start already learning the third chapter of the machine is not disconnected, it doesn't matter, we're being recorded. Chabad.org will cut it out or not, and it doesn't even work. Oh, this is now being recorded. Doesn't matter. Okay, there. Um, what happens if I guess uh, a man a man suspects uh, his wife being with the Rubin, and then they a man a, a man suspects a simple being, case. Yeah? Uh, yeah, she drinks, she's innocent. They divorce, and then they get back together, and then again suspects. They do it again. Yeah. Oh no no. no. So that's so what we just learned right now. But if it's the same husband. Yeah, but it's two different marriages. Doesn't matter. Doesn't that, matter. Again, the fact that it's the same husband suspecting his wife of being with the same guy, you can't make a drink again. See, it takes time. It's still being recorded. Yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom. When this finishes, yeah. when it comes back, when the... Yeah, the screen. Then we'll press... Like, if you press this now to close it, it's not going to work. It happens every now and then. Whatever. I think there's well, so many different... It's recorded, though. It's being recorded, man. Just be aware. No, it's, it's recorded. Yeah, 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 no, for sure it's recorded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Chabad.org. I personally appreciate your your sight. So I'm saying Okay, what's the plan? We're going to seven seventy what time? I think that would be nine thirty. Nine o'clock thirty. Okay, move. Yeah, I'm out of the